Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. Hi, listeners. It's Reed. You may have noticed we're in your feed a day early. That's because what you're about to hear is a special crossover episode with our sister podcast, Spark and Fire. And it features cello virtuoso, Yo-Yo Ma. Spark and Fire brings you stories of creative journeys from first-class artists and innovators at the top of their game. These are stories of building from the ground up with all the entrepreneurial thinking you hear on this show applied to creative fields. And it's hosted by our own executive producer, June Cohen. Season two has just launched. So what you'll hear now is one part of a Spark and Fire episode that we think will resonate with our community of entrepreneurs and business leaders. But you can listen to Yo-Yo's full episode right now. Find the link in our show notes or at sparkandfire.com. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. We'll be back to our regular schedule next Tuesday with a new classic episode of Masters of Scale. You go to a public beach. It's filled with people. You go 100 yards away. It's fewer people. You go 500 yards. It's absolutely almost nobody. Now, any one of those people at the entrance of the beach can't go to the place that's 500 yards away, but they don't. And that's the tension that we all have as human beings. We want to congregate together. We want to be part of a group, but we also want something special. By making that extra effort and walking those 500 yards, you get to something special. but not everybody wants to do that. That's world-renowned cellist Yo-Yo Ma. And across his career, he's built a reputation for always going that extra 500 yards. He's recorded more than 90 albums and won 18 Grammys. And he's played for audiences all over the globe. But the story you're about to hear isn't about what Yo-Yo accomplished on his own. This is about Yo-Yo co-founding the musical collective The Silk Road Project, named for the ancient trade route that ran from China to the Mediterranean. Silk Road brings together musicians from wildly different traditions to write and perform original music. Performers don't always speak the same language, musically or literally. But in this ensemble, they managed to come together and create something totally original. There's a lot entrepreneurs and business leaders can learn from the Silk Road story, which was originally captured on our sister podcast, Spark and Fire. Right now, what you'll hear is a taste of that episode, how Yo-Yo recruited the right people, leveraging his network to form a team. And you'll see how that team had to improvise and pivot while building the Silk Road MVP. These are all essential lessons of entrepreneurship. 
and I'll come back in key moments to talk about them throughout the show. Now, here's June Cohen to welcome you to Spark and Fire. Every creative work you've ever loved has a hero's journey behind it. Whether it's a book or a building, a film or a photograph. On this show, creators from different fields share their stories to fuel your creativity. From Wait What and the BBC, this is Spark and Fire. We'll start the show in a moment. After a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news, that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. (laughs) That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business. And she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision, and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight? Have multiple Plan Bs. How do you build a creative vision? Look for signs that the world is changing, and then look for the scouts who can help you lead the way. 1996, someone says to me, you've got to think of something to do for the Hong Kong changeover. It's British colonial rule. It's 150 years of humiliation. So we're going to kick the British out, and you know, and this is the return of Hong Kong. It's going to be... And I thought, eesh. I can't participate in that because obviously Britain and China are more than that moment of history. Because I loved archaeology, I knew that there were a set of huge bronze bells that were discovered in 1978. There was something in the technology of the alloy that when you play it, it actually has two tones, which nobody's been able to replicate since that time. I thought, you know, they're 2,500-year-old bells. If we could play this piece with the bells, with a children's chorus from Hong Kong, then you have 2,500 years of history, and you have the future. All of this fueled the Silk Road because it gave experience of saying, okay, well, we know about these traditions and that traditions, and and what else don't we know? In 1998, we formed the Silk Road Project. 
we raised money so that we could find the scouts that would go to Central Asia, that would go to Mongolia, that would go to China, that actually know the territory, can gain trust of the local people. They went for years, scouted and found composers, and then we commissioned them to write pieces, find the musicians, and bring them over. What jumps out to me from Yo-Yo's story is how the moment he got the idea for the Silk Road project, he started thinking about how to recruit others to his mission. He would need scouts who would be trusted by local communities. He'd need to fundraise to support this multi-year project. And he'd need all of these stakeholders to recruit from their networks, communicating that same passion for the mission. In fact, let's hear some of that passion from a few Silk Road members in their own words. We'll start with founding member Wu Man. She's a pipa player, one of the best in the world. And if you don't know what a pipa is, that's a great reason to check out the full episode of Spark and Fire in their show feed. Here's Wu Man describing her own recruitment story back at the very beginning of Silk Road's journey. The first time I met Yo-Yo, we played a lecture concert together that was about what is a tradition, what is a contemporary, what is East, what is West. During that very interesting lecture concert, Yo-Yo told me he wanted to found this group called Silk Road. He said, well, you know, I just want to have a band. The band is like a mixed instrument, mixed musician, or from a different country, that kind of international band, so we can tour. And then I look at him, I said, wow, that's kind of my dream. That's my mission. I want to do that too. So, of course, I said, wow. Let's do it. Yo-Yo recruited Wu Man by sparking her passion for the mission. That is, to assemble a one-of-a-kind international band. Then Wu Man took that spark and recruited another key co-founder, percussionist Joseph Gramley. I play basically anything you can shake, scrape, or strike. I was trained to play in an orchestra. I went to Juilliard and I should have ended up in an orchestra. And for a while, that was my dream. But as I started to play more instruments from around the world, I started to branch out and play a lot of new music, a lot of global music, a lot of world music. We went to lunch one day. It was myself, the famous pipa virtuosa Wu Man, and the composer Bright Shen. We were at a table near the back, and that was when Wu Man mentioned this project I had never heard of. Hey, Joe, we're doing this project with Yo-Yo Ma, and we are interested in finding percussionists who play both Western and non-Western instruments Now listen, Joe, there's no pay. You're going to have to stay with a host family, maybe sleep in the guest room, maybe sleep on the floor. Um, But would you be interested in joining us? 
I found myself two months later driving every instrument I owned, Chinese opera gongs, tam-tams, which is just a massive gong, the marimba bars. They're made of rosewood from Honduras. They're very delicate. I would usually roll them up in a, in a blanket and I put them on the front seat so I could take care of those two little bundles of joy. It's a beautiful drive, big blue sky, bulbous, round, full green trees up the highway. I could hear the rattle of the gongs and the tam-tams in the back of the car. I was nervous. I was excited. I didn't know what I had gotten myself into. That feeling of, I didn't know what I got myself into, is so familiar to entrepreneurs leaping into the unknown. Yo-Yo was essentially asking these best-in-class musicians to co-found a startup. But their first proving ground wouldn't be a garage in Menlo Park or a dorm room at Stanford or Harvard. Where Joseph was headed in his car full of delicate instruments was to the summer home of the Boston Symphony Orchestra nestled in the Berkshire Hills. Tanglewood, the first gathering of the Silk Road Project. Tanglewood is an arts center in Western Massachusetts. They have now three or four concert halls. There's a lake nearby, they're rolling hills. It's absolutely beautiful. Tanglewood is like, oh my gosh. As a young musician just landed in this country and played this weird pipa instrument and they want to go to Tanglewood. This is like a dream place, heaven. The Western musicians, all volunteered, they were interested because they're curious. I arrived to Tanglewood and I unloaded, and then I went to meet the bus. The bus hadn't yet arrived from JFK. Drivers, volunteers would get lost and finally get to the house at midnight. And then I see from about 100 meters away, the bus turns into the parking lot, comes straight towards us, parks right in front of all the people. Turns out these folks were our host families. We had no money. So people opened up their houses. This was like a family affair. And then people started to introduce themselves to each other. At this point, there was a massive language barrier. I met so many musicians, composers from Mongolia, from Azerbaijan, China, Japan, Turkey, Iran, and, and so many musicians and composers there. We went from there to a group picnic at one of the host family's homes. There began just the process of getting to know each other. You know, my poor family, I have to apologize and thank them. Jill went out the day before and bought pounds of rice and rice cookers. The Mongolians, turns out, eat like quantities of meat that you would not believe. Steaks three-pounders, gone. 16 eggs, halal. They were non-meat eaters. People only eat rice. They're in strange territory. So we have to win their trust. We have to give them the things that they operate from. And did we know? No. Did we find out quickly? Yes. Was it scary? 
Yes. I can feel that happiness there. Like, we know something's going to happen. <laughs> you know, we're going to try something very different. What is so vivid in this story, besides the image of musicians tearing through heroic quantities of meat and eggs, is how Yo-Yo and his co-founders leverage their networks to recruit people to the cause. Host families open their doors. Drivers volunteered to make runs from the airport. And musicians hopped on planes and traveled halfway around the world. This incredible gathering was only possible because each new team member reached out to their networks, recruiting more and more people to the mission. The result was a flywheel of excitement, gathering speed. It gave the Silk Road project momentum as they headed into their first rehearsals at Tanglewood. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the <laughs> newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Whether you're a startup or a newly formed orchestra, once the team is assembled, the real work begins, and new challenges rise to the surface. That's what you'll hear as June leads us into this next segment. The first terrifying rehearsal. How do you overcome group fears? Find a common language and listen for that transcendent moment. At Tanglewood, the great challenge was, was fear. The fear that it would be a disaster and that things would fall apart. It wouldn't work. People hated the music. You know, and it's like a bust. That would be a legitimate fear. We had a lot of pieces to rehearse in 10 days. Tanglewood, they were very generous with giving us different rooms, rehearsal space, and barns. Like, wow, how can we rehearse there? <laughs> You just uh, in this box. There's no floor. It's just dirt. It's just the grass. It's very much like summer camp. (laughs) 
first rehearsal was tough because there are a lot of different language going on. <laughs> we have so many translators as well. So it's it's like, and I don't know, UN. <laughs> the language barrier was something that we sort of addressed on a case-by-case basis, depending on who was in the group and which common languages they might have. For example, I played in a group with Kehan Kalhor, who's Iranian. He had studied in Canada and spoke, you know, his English was good at the time, but he also spoke Italian. And I spoke Italian, so we would use that commonality to then translate for other people. One of the violinists spoke Russian and English, and that was incredibly helpful for the artists from Central Asia, because they had spoken Russian there. It was our way in. Afterwards, rehearsal, all the mosquitoes, I remember so clearly. The first uh, Tangled workshop, the mosquito just bite me, the whole body. But that was so memorable, and that's the happiest time for me. After a few days, we don't need a translator anymore. The room kind of started empty, and it started only musician there. I was very moved by that. I was in a rehearsal on the Eastbourne, and all of a sudden I heard this voice and a style of singing I'd never heard before. So we literally all stopped. It was the voice of Kongerzol Ganbatar, a Mongolian long song singer who had such power that her voice went from the West Barn all the way up to the East Barn and forced us to stop our rehearsal. And we just listened. Somehow we just communicate without language. We understand each other. That's the beautiful thing. This moment where the need for translation stops and your team starts understanding each other fluidly is a magical one in any scale journey. It's a moment every global business aspires to, as well as every coding team, design team, and product team. When everyone in your organization is dialed in on a mission, it helps every team member get on the same page. And the more everyone works together, the easier fast communication becomes. Of course, even when your team is communicating perfectly, that doesn't mean the road ahead will be smooth. Anytime you're trying to innovate something the world has never seen before, there are going to be some setbacks. How do you inspire a group to go beyond what they thought was possible? Honor every contributor. And laughter always helps. A lot of times, if you're not ready by the first rehearsal, it's too late just because there's such limited time to learn this music. I'd had the music now for about three weeks. I was playing six new commissions. The majority of the pieces had multiple percussion instruments. I would practice late into the night. I'd get up in the morning before rehearsal to practice my parts. I was a little anxious about if I was going to be good enough, if I was going to be able to keep up with artists that Yo-Yo Ma had selected You have to learn the piece quickly. And some pieces are very contemporary. It's just uh, very microtonal, you know, very new, kind of so hard. The music was really hard. These composers who Yo-Yo commissioned really threw a lot at us. So the notes were hard. The notes were fast. I'd never played in ensembles with these instruments. I had never heard of some of these instruments. And also play with so many different people. 
from a different country and different instrument, which is a lot of instrument you never see before. That's quite challenging. We wanted to honor traditions. Persian tradition is very specific. Mongolian long song tradition is very specific. It's amazing. Also very loud. The pipa sound very different with this huge percussion and how we balanced. Now I need to balance my sound with that instrument. I need to morph and merge my groove and my time with artists who have a different sense of groove from their culture. We had to find the musical connection to successfully bring to life the visions of the composers. That was the hardest thing. There were moments when one might think, this is not going to work. You might be panicked. You might be in the middle of a piece of music and you have to stop because people are in different places and you're never going to get back on. A lot of my training in chamber music and Western classical music, it comes from the musical score and you study the score and then if there's an issue, you can sort of jump to where that is. Not possible with the music of Silk Road because it's so new. The first open rehearsal was in the brand new Seiji Ozawa Hall at Tanglewood. That was a dry run. Mostly it was the host families, maybe 75 to 100 people. All seated up pretty close. It was a very relaxed atmosphere. There was a lot of laughing, but there were more than a few times where folks had to stop or someone would look across the ensemble and someone was in a completely different spot and they'd, they'd have this moment of, uh, what do we do? Who do I go with? And we smile and we laugh and Yo-Yo will say something funny and bring us all back together. Not having control of your environment and somehow staying focused and resilient. If you control something too much, you're delivering a product. And that's not what live performance is about. If you're listening as an entrepreneur, what Yo-Yo just said might sound a bit strange because the product of the Silk Road project was, in fact, a live performance, including all the imperfections and hesitations along the way. When Yo-Yo says the word product, what he means is something that feels manufactured and uniform. And in any field, when you're building something new, there's tension between creating a structured and stable environment for your team and leaving room for accidental discoveries. Too much control, and you stifle innovation. Too little, and you risk falling into chaos. You can hear how that tension continued from the dry-run rehearsal in the Silk Road's first performance for the general public. We had grown close over two weeks. We had struggled with the music. We had worked really hard. You have to learn many pieces in 10 days. And in the last day, you have to present those pieces in the concert with the public audience. And they're all musicians. That's kind of nervous, like college exam day. <laughs> At the end, we were having all these managers and presenters come in from around the world to create a moment where we can actually show what these things were. Managers were there, agents were there, conductors were there. To hear this music for the first time, 
What was at stake was a belief that this music needed to be heard and that if we didn't play it well, we might lose the opportunity to play it again. If we played the music well, would people accept it? Would they want to hear more of it to see if it could tour? They'll have to figure out how to market this idea for their local audiences to see whether we were trustworthy enough for them to make the leap. The Silk Road Ensemble had done their best and gone on a series of sprints to get ready for the performance. They were about to debut their minimum viable product to the music world. Everything was on the line. And it's at this moment we're going to leave their story. To find out what happens next, subscribe to Spark and Fire, presented by Wait What. You can hear the full Silk Road episode and others by legendary creators telling their stories of their most iconic works. Each lesson is its own study in scrappiness and grit, applied to fields we don't always get to cover in the show, from graphic design to stand-up comedy. Season 2 is out right now. Spark and Fire is a Wait What original in partnership with the BBC. Find the link in our show notes or at sparkandfire.com. I'm Reid Hoffman. Thank you for listening. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we are at stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale is a Wait What original. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producers are Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark-Bray, Alex Morris, Tucker Ligurski, and Chris Gauthier. Our editor-at-large is Bob Safian. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nolt, and Brad Worrell. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Chris Yeh, Elisa Schreiber, Paria Finger, 
Saida Sapieva, Greg Beato, Adam Heiner, Alfonso Bravo, Colin Howarth, Willem Crowles, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Samuel Puta, Anna Pisano, Sarah Tarter, Leah Sermetis, Charlie Manessis, Chineme Azequena, Emily McManus, Hallie Bondi, and Sierra Black. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership.